Hello and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Rank and Review. I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. And this episode, my guest Daniel Epler is going to help me talk about six action movies. We're doing Action Bloodlust number two. As usual, you should go into the podcast knowing that there will be spoilers and there will be probably a lot of coarse language, especially from me. Thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. Send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And check out the website at rankandreview.ca. Okay, Mr. Daniel Epler is back on the show. It was a little over a year ago. You were on Rank and Review, and uh, we discussed some interesting sort of genre comedy type of horrors. But since you talk about horror movies all the time on your podcast, Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast, just a little plug there for you, uh, you decided that you wanted to talk about something different this episode. You wanted to talk about action movies. Yes, I did. Uh, I love action movies, and I, I pretty rarely get the chance to, to podcast about them. Um, so this is going to be a little bit different for me, so I hope it goes well. But I would probably consider action my second favorite film genre behind horror. I love action movies. I also very much enjoy action movies. I think that I might be guilty of grading them on a different bar than I tend to grade other movies, even like horror movies and like slashery silly movies. With action movies, you're going to find me being a little bit less picky about story. <laughs> like, uh, I can deal with a dumb action movie if I'm in the mood for a dumb action movie and the movie knows that it's a dumb action movie. I am more than willing to meet it halfway. <laughs> but a lot of people, especially when they put their critic hats on, are going to, you know, I'm going to talk about Blind Fury and I'm going to have anything positive to say about it. Well, yeah, kind of, sort of. What I guess I'm trying to say is that the audience for these movies is kind of specific. I mean, we do this the same way with horror movies, but even action, there's somehow different. Action movies get a bigger pass than others. Is there a reason for that? Do you think that's fair? Oh, I think that's completely fair, and I'm the same way. 
I always say we go to different kinds of movies for different things. And, you know, if I go into a drama, yes, I need the dialogue to be really good. I need the story to be tight. I need it to all make sense. I need it to maybe get me in the heart or at least, like, really make me think. But with action movies, you don't need that stuff as much because you're getting a lot of other things. Uh, A lot of things that I love about action movies is I love the technical aspect of an action scene. Like, I like to see stunt work. You know, a lot of stunt work is getting replaced by CGI uh, in, in some cases in modern movies, which is a little bit less interesting to me. But um, I, I love to see human beings do insane things in front of a camera. Yeah. You know, um, I love to see the choreography of a fight scene. Um, you know, we're about to we're going to talk about one movie that has shootouts that just have a car will explode. And like, you know, that's not realistic, but that car blew up in front of a camera. Yeah. You know? And that's pretty exciting to watch so i i love a cheesy action movie you know like I, i'll be totally honest like i'm, I'm even down for a golan and globus canon action movie from like the 1980s uh, i'm just a big fan of this stuff i want them to be fun um i want the action scenes to be really kick-ass and yes like i would love to get good characters and good story and i think we're going to talk about some movies that give you that um but their action movies can give you a lot of other things too, you know, and you can grade them on curve of like, yeah, you know what, I didn't really care that much about the story, but God, that fight scene was cool. Yeah. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay. And largely you'll find that I will be generous in that measure this episode. <laughs> Just what are your goals and what are you, you know, how close to achieving them have you come? That's basically how I'm going to grade these movies. I will also say, though, I think that we're living through somewhat of a golden age of action. I understand you were saying that, like, CGI is starting to take over, um, especially in the realm of the car chase. Things like the French Connection or Ronin, where we had, like, real, real world, visceral, scary car chases. This seems to be an increasingly rare thing now. But if you keep the energy up and you keep wowing me, like, we live in this modern age of, like, John Wick and the Raid movies, and, like, they're incredibly exciting and full of momentum and a lot of fun, as long as you don't think about them too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kind of with you on, on, on we're, like, action movies are coming back. You know, CGI is taking over a lot of, like, the more mainstream movies, but I, I've only recently started discovering the joys of direct-to-video action scene going on right now. Uh, I have a good buddy who runs a podcast called Atkins Undisputed. It's all uh, dedicated to the work of this actor named Scott Atkins, and he's making direct-to-video action movies now. And these are movies that like, you're not going to hear about in mainstream circles. Critics aren't going to care about them. They're never going to show up on a top 10 best list of the year or anything like that. But they're, he's pumping them out. They're coming direct-to-video, and they just have crazy action scenes. And this guy, Scott Atkins, is this insane martial artist who just pulls off amazing things in front of a camera so yeah there's some cool stuff going on the directed video scene yes there's like john wick there's the mission impossible movies which i am just ride or die for all day long so there there are some cool action movies going on right now but um you know we're gonna be talking about mostly stuff from the 80s and the 90s that's that's my golden age I gotta oh say. yes it is the action might not be as visceral visceral and impactful in the 80s as we're used to seeing now but it's suitably big and dumb and goofy. And I just appreciate their effort to purely entertain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it when I see a movie and I'm like, God, you know, especially if it's a lower budget. Like, they did everything they could to make sure I was entertained. And yeah. I respect that. 
they're, they're, it's not through lack of effort <laughs> if they're going to fail. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say by way of introduction before I list off the movies and we start the rank and review? Well, first of all, I just want to say, uh, for the most part, I think this is a really strong list. Um, I am a big, I'm a lot more enthusiastic going into this list than I was for our last episode. Even though our last episode was still fun, there were movies on there I really dug. But I'm pretty passionate about a lot of these movies. I, I was kind of wondering, I don't know if you want to get into this yet, like what your mindset was in putting these together. Because I was looking for a common theme, and I'm like, okay, we've got four movies that are from pretty legendary action directors. Mm-hmm. Two that aren't. Uh, we've got four cop movies, but two aren't. I'm not sure, like, did you have a common theme across these? Well, I wanted, like, a little bit of a range to it as far as the scale and the budget. And I didn't want all the movies to sort of be repeated, you know, corrupt cops again or whatever. Um, and then there's some franchise stalwarts. I'm going to work my way through the Die Hard series, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I just didn't want to be reviewing the same movie over and over again. So I just tried to give it a little bit of variety within the genre. Um, and almost all of these, I think, uh, have a, a little bit of an, a humor inserted into it as well. Because that's one thing about uh, action movies. I get a lot of shit from people who don't appreciate horror saying, why do I want to watch something so violent, so morbid, so full of death? Your average action movie has a significantly higher body count than your average yeah. horror movie. <laughs> And, and probably more misogyny as well. <laughs> and more punchlines about it. There's a lot of times where somebody dies a brutal death in an action scene and your reaction is, oh, oh no, right? It's this big kind of yeah. laugh moment. But whereas <laughs> people are all on board for John Wick, right? The uh, highest body count ever in those movies. 300 people killed by John Wick <laughs> in There's three movies. Like... It's crazy. I've seen video games. First-person shooters have less of a body count than these movies. And yet, they get a pass somehow, and horror movies don't. I, I mean, I could be going back to that old thing, and I'm boring myself by repeating it yet again in the podcast, but there's something to be said for the value of a movie that just wants to entertain you, just wants to put a smile on your face, and has no goals or ambitions beyond that. I, I respect that and sometimes, frankly, miss it. Yeah, no, I, I, I gotcha. Like, I like all kinds of movies. Like, there's no kind of movie I shut myself off to that I that I don't care for, really. But um, I, I just, I really love the movies that just try to entertain. You know, that's kind of my favorite kind of stuff. Um, I have a lot of respect for you, Larry, in that I think you are definitely more film critic than I am. I would never call myself a film critic. I'm much more just like, I'm an appreciator. I get excited about movies and... And action movies are, are some of the movies that I get most excited about. Because I, like you mentioned, I do love those, oh, moments <laughs> in an action movie where something crazy happens. And uh, I, lo- I love that stuff. So much fun. <laughs> and I give, I give myself and anyone else listening permission to laugh at that. It's okay. It's a fictional context. Let's not take <laughs> it too seriously. One more thing before we start, and uh, you just complimented me, uh, saying that you, you think you're a critic, and I like that. So now I'm going to lose all credibility with you. Do you know that I have only seen the first two Mission Impossible movies? That is fascinating, but you know what? Like, Get excited, because you're going to have some great times ahead whenever you get around to that franchise. You're going to have so much fun. It's so honestly, like The first two... I have no hate for any Mission Impossible movie, but the first two are my least favorite. It's, it's three on where I get really excited about it. 
Well, that's good to hear because that's been my history with the Mission Impossible movies. Everyone tells me it's awesome. I go to see Mission Impossible and I think, man, that's got to be one of the worst Brian De Palma films I've ever seen. No, it is. It's one of my least favorite of his for sure. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, no, 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 dude. Mission Impossible 2, John Woo, it's super awesome. And I watched it, and I really didn't like it. Like, I really didn't like it. So then everybody said, Mission Impossible 3, Larry, it's amazing. It's amazing. Check it out. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've already been fooled twice. (laughs) So now I've got this weird link, like I'm stubborn about it. I'll have to, like, wait for the whole thing to run its course and then maybe do an episode just dedicated to the Mission Impossible series. Well, there are six at this point. There you go. But they're not stopped. Aren't they doing one in space or some shit now? (laughs) No, I think that's Fast and Furious. Uh, But they are making two more. Um, I think they're making them, like, at the same time, and they're going to come out within a year of each other. You know, if movies ever come out again. Yeah. (laughs) Strange days. Well, I think we should uh, list off these movies and get started. Thank you so much for being here, Daniel. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love this show. Oh, thanks. Uh, we're going to review Bad Boys from popular but much maligned director Michael Bay. <laughs> we're going to talk about the middle chapter of the Mariachi trilogy from Robert Rodriguez called Desperado. We're going to talk about a John Woo classic called Hard Boiled. We're going to talk about Die Hard 4 or is it a good day to die hard? Live free or die. Or hard. live free or die hard. Oh, there you go. You got to keep this straight. Then we have Blind Fury, starring the recently passed away Rudger Hauer. Really like that dude. And we're gonna finish up with the '90s spectacle that is Point Break. Thank you so much for being here. Let's do it. Please, you ain't even trying to compare body counts. Why? Uh, should I keep going all day? I'm, I'm out. No. This case. We got 72 hours before the FBI and the DEA walk in here and shut us down. You know, you drive almost slow enough to drive Miss Daisy. This murder. And this witness. You, you, you ain't with the bad guys now. You with the cops. This is your getaway car? What is this? A family station wagon? Hey, guys, you got a baby seat in the back. I'm going to put them. Look at you. Look at you. Can you stay focused? What are you talking about? I'm focused. Yeah, focused on all this scattered ass around here. To the ultimate test. Ah! Columbia Pictures presents... Don't be alarmed, we're Negroes. Oh, man. That's too much bass in your voice. That scared white folk. Martin Lawrence. We were wondering if we can borrow some brown sugar. Will Smith. You see, you you so wrong, you. Justice will be done. You forgot your boarding pass. And boys will be boys. Bad boys. What you gonna do? Bad boys, bad boys. What What you you gonna gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Michael Bay. Well, here's the thing. He's one of the most beloved slash despised directors that we have going right now. And 
you know what? I understand both ends of the argument. I sincerely do. <laughs> I have not been a big fan of the Transformers franchise, which has been the bulk of his career for the last 10 years or so. But I was at least a defender of Michael Bay technically. His technical filmmaking, the shots, the edits, like, he covers action well. He has a tin ear for comedy. He just, I don't think his sense of humor and my sense of humor are at all the same. So his strengths are in the action. And that's what I'm going to say about bad boys. The strength of bad boys is the action side of this action comedy. Um, I think that when the heist is taking place, a bunch of crooked cops are stealing evidence from the police and there's a visceral moment of action happening. While that's going on, it's, it, it works for me. But the interplay between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and sort of the wacky humor aspects or, oh no, she thinks Will Smith is gay humor. Um, you know, Martin Lawrence wanting to get laid by his wife. Like, the humor in the movie I find largely dismissible. The action I do not. But I think that this is one of the better pieces of evidence, and he's made many of them, that Michael Bay is really good at making pretty images. In a way, I get that he established himself in advertising and in music videos, because I think maybe those genres are most suited to his skill set. One of the biggest problems his later movies have is bloat. They get to two and a half to three hours long. Bad Boys doesn't have this problem. It stays nice and tight and efficient, and it knows what it is, to its credit. Am I enthusiastic about Bad Boys? No. But do I think it's going to rank particularly high on this list? No. Would I tell someone, don't watch Bad Boys? No, I would not. I'm not enthusiastic, but my thumbs are up. That's where I start with Bad Boys. Right on. So uh, there were four movies on this list that I rewatched and two that I saw for the first time. And Bad Boys was one that I watched for the first time. And I will tell you, I enjoyed Bad Boys so much and I was so high on it that I it sent me on a Michael Bay binge watch. Okay. Movies. Now, for the most part, I, I, I guess I kind of subscribe to like the Internet's uh, opinion of Michael Bay that he's toxic. He's a douchebag. He sucks. We don't care about him. Uh, like I, I've always been a big fan of The Rock with Nicolas Cage. It's probably oh, one of my favorite action movies. His best movie, I think. That, sorry, what? I think The Rock is his best movie, personally. I absolutely do, too. I absolutely do, too. Um, now, Transformers I loved when I was 14. I, I don't think I've gone back to it ever since, and I've never seen any of the sequels. But anything else I'd seen from Michael Bay, which is like a couple of movies I just haven't cared about. Uh, but Bad Boys, it was so much fun that I watched a bunch of his movies for the first time. And they're not all great. Like, uh, I thought Armageddon... Sorry, yeah, I like, I watched Armageddon, I found it really fun, it's it's insanely stupid, it's very, very dumb, but <laughs> lots of fun, um, Pearl Harbor, you know, mostly didn't work for me, but no. God's got a visually beautiful movie, um, and I, I just, all, all this point to say is that I've gained a real appreciation for Michael Bay, uh, but honestly, one of the reasons that I appreciate him is I find all of the ways that he is toxic fascinating. Like, I, I guess I'm not off-put by it as much because nobody's really defending the morality of Michael Bay. No. He's not like Zack Snyder where he has this rabid fan base that will attack you if you come at him. Like, 
nobody's really defending Michael Bay at this point, so I feel like there's no harm in appreciating what makes him his movies crazy. But all in all, Bad Boys is a very uh, restrained Michael Bay. He had much less budget than I think he's ever had since. Uh, so it's a bit of a smaller movie. I think the comedy is probably the best in this movie out of his movies. Like, I, I watched Bad Boys 2, and Bad Boys 2 is like the most vile, repellent thing morally. Hateful. That you've maybe ever seen. <laughs> it's such a hateful movie. Uh, it's so much more so than Bad Boys. So Bad Boys just seems completely tame by comparison. Um, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, I like their chemistry. I just think on screen together, uh, they're just really great. I know they ad-libbed a lot of the dialogue, which is probably one of the reasons that the dialogue mostly works for me. It's, it's silly and it's over the top. And and long like the gate and my babies, and it goes throughout his movies for some reason. But um, yeah, the the mistaken identity thing with Taya Leone, it doesn't really make sense. There's not a good reason to do it, but it's funny I, I i enjoy it um will smith really becomes an action star in this movie which is yeah. cool i think this was his first action movie and he really really shines he's he's very unlikable in bad boys too but in bad boys i i think he's a very likable character it's a it's a very cliched buddy cop movie i just think it deals with the cliches very well very entertaining like all michael bay's are it's a beautiful looking film and because it's like a buddy cop comedy just don't really expect the level of action in this and the level of action is spectacular like i think the third act is amazing like ever since when uh when taylor leone finds out mistaken identity thing and she leaves and then the bad guys are in the lobby from that point on to the end it is just an epic action extravaganza so i really like bad boys i'm a big fan of this one look fair fair enough i mean um i rank it higher in the tier of michael bay movies I, I mean, as much as I sounded like a Michael Bay apologist, I think, if I'm honest, I've probably given bad reviews to more of his movies than positive. And Bad Boys does get a, a thumbs-up review. It's a little bit guilty. I think that the odd couple dynamic that they're playing with is a very familiar one. Like, uh, there's sort of the, the married, sloppy, loudmouthed, rough-around-the-edges cop, and then there's the clean-cut, like, supermodel-looking Will Smith. Almost to a point where it becomes a problem, like they shoot Will Smith like he's a, a star of a music video, or like like they're selling his car or his fashion. There's what I was saying, like the music video and the advertising background for Michael Bay really comes through almost to a negative point, where the movie feels and looks more like a music video or an advertisement than like a movie. And I think that's why the length of the Michael Bay movies start to wear you out, because you, you can handle that real kinetic editing for a video that lasts three or four minutes. But two and a half hours of that kind of kinetic editing will wear your shit out. Another thing that I wanted to say positive about Bad Boys, because I mean, I seem like I've, I'm sort of limiting my praise somewhat. I like how well Michael Bay uses his bit characters in the movies. Saskatoon actor Kim Coates has a one scene role at the beginning of this movie. A lot of people know him from Sons of Anarchy, uh, but he's just a guy who tries to steal Will Smith's car, and he's got three lines, and then he gets punched and arrested. But we kind of like that character. He's funny, he's got a couple of good lines, it establishes the dynamic between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence right away out of the gate, and those two villain throwaway characters have way more personality than you would expect. And he has a good eye for casting, too. Um, Michael Imperioli is in this movie before The Sopranos. Um, 
Taya Leone was a real hot property in the late 90s. I don't know what happened to her. Someone should put a missing persons word out on Taya Leone. <laughs> so true. But the movie's full of interesting faces. And I think it's interesting what you were saying earlier about the stuff that'll put your smile on your face in an action movie that, like, maybe we should be rolling our eyes at. The cop, the cops in the precinct, that are, they're like another cup team that are partners that have this weird, like, animosity competition going on between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. It's completely ludicrous and silly, and it's something that you would see in an 80s cop movie, and I welcomed it. It's dumb, it's superfluous, and I welcomed it. The, their, their chief, who yells at them all the time, it's an utter cliche. Joe Pantoliano, he knows what he's doing. They hired the right guy for the job. It's stupid, and it's awesome at the same time. That's what I'm looking for in an action movie. A stupid, awesome, good time. And I think that it mostly gets there. I don't know, it might be me, Daniel. I have never really clicked with Martin Lawrence. Maybe I haven't seen the right movies. Like, um, I saw a movie he did with Tim Robbins, like, years, I, mean, I want to say, I can't remember, I want to say Nothing But Trouble, that's not the right title, but it doesn't matter. Um, I've seen him in a few things. I haven't seen Big Mama's House, but that movie didn't really feel like it was for me. But I don't know, I just, I didn't connect with the Martin Lawrence character. Um, and he seemed like to be asking for the laughs more than anyone else. Whereas everybody else was sort of playing the situations and the humor would come out of it. Martin Lawrence was the one character who I felt going, eh? Eh? Do you know what I mean? He's like asking the audience, like me, like me. <laughs> and I don't know, I find that kind of desperate and off-putting, but uh, I seem to be pretty alone on it. Well, my Martin Lawrence knowledge begins with Bad Boys and ends with Bad Boys too. There you go. Uh, so I can't, I can't speak to his comedy. But um, I, I, I like him in this movie. I think, he, again, like you said, he's a very cliched character. He is the sort of put-upon detective who's not the cool one, and he's the one that's married, and he's always complaining about, about not getting quote-unquote quality time with his wife, and there's this long joke that his, he's real backed up sexually, <laughs> essentially. Uh, so it, it's very cliched, but I didn't, I didn't have the same idea as you to where like, I felt like he was begging for the laughs. It worked for me. Uh, I think I, I agree with you. I think Michael Bay does have a good eye for casting. I mean, one, in this movie, he makes Will Smith an action star. The very next year, he makes Nicolas Cage an action star. Yeah. I got the rocks performed in the game. So I, I, I don't know that he quite gets the credit for that that he deserves. But, um, yeah, I, I really like the actors in this movie. I really like Taya Leone. I think of all of the female characters in Michael Bay movies, Taya Leone is sort of the most able to defy Michael Bay and make her character a character and not just there to be hot. Um, so I think she's maybe the best female character in a Michael Bay movie. She, I think she's really funny. She'll find a way to be strong in spite of everything that's going on around her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only other female character that jumps to mind in a Michael Bay movie, honestly at all, is like Kate Beckinsale in Pearl Harbor. And, and that's, that's not going to win anybody <laughs> over, like... He doesn't do uh, strong I mean, female she's characters. So beautiful, though, oh, she's a beautiful right. actress. <laughs> I would never say otherwise, but uh, that movie is hot garbage. I really did not like Pearl Harbor that much. I understand. I understand. Great action sequence in the uh, actual Pearl Harbor event. It's well handled, but everything around it makes my teeth hurt. Like this is an American tragedy. It's yeah. weird that we're dealing with this like it's cool. Yeah. You know? Agreed. He was the wrong guy for that movie. <laughs>
<laughs> they wanted him to make Titanic, and he should be making movies like Bad Boys. Exactly. If I had advice to, well, I do, not that he would hear it, but if, if I could give advice to Michael Bay, I would say, work, chop down that running time. <laughs> yeah. And, like, give me an amazing 90 minute, like, to an hour 45 minutes of, like, exhilarating action. And you know what? You can make it as dumb as you want. <laughs> if you go I'm ahead and make it two and a half to three hours, you're going to wear me out. Bad Boys did not wear me out. I enjoyed it well enough. That's where I washed up on it. Is that good enough? Or do you have anything That's up? good enough. I like it, man. Right. I was visiting a bar, and in he walked. You saw his face? His face? No. I mean, every step he took towards the light, just when you thought his face was about to be revealed, it wasn't. It was as if the lights dimmed just for him. They called him a loner. I know who you are. Really? You kill drug dealers. They killed the woman I loved. You ruined my life. They called him a miss. You've heard stories of that man that carries a guitar case full of weapons. Find him and kill him. I hope you don't think you can take someone like Ucho all by yourself. Really? They made the mistake of calling his bluff. Is there something in the guitar case? My guitar? Now, it's time to face the music. Let's play. So, I revisited Desperado just earlier this week. Um, to prepare for the show, obviously. And the Mariachi Trilogy, um, which consists of El Mariachi, Desperado, and Once Upon a Time in Mexico, all written and directed by Robert Rodriguez, was something that at least Once Upon a Time I held in high esteem. I still really enjoy them, I still really like them, and I'm gonna give this movie a guilty pleasure thumbs up review. But, it's just, they're just not the movies that I remember them being <laughs> when I was younger. I like them, I enjoy them, they are dumb fun, but they're not, they're not amazing. I, I, I think there was a time where I would say that Desperado was amazing. <laughs> the other thing that kind of got me in the feels watching this is how young everybody is in this movie. Steve Buscemi is young in this movie. Danny Trejo is young in this movie. The extended cameo from Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino seems so young in this movie. <laughs> Uh, so a lot of the stuff that affected my emotional reaction didn't have a lot to do with the movie itself. The one thing negatively that ranks true today that did from 1995 and still do here is something that I've called shenanigans on in the podcast in the past. If you're going to make a reveal in the movie that the big bad is our protagonist's brother... <laughs> If you're going to go that, like, obvious and Shakespearean with it, you're going to have to earn it. And a big slight against Desperado for me is that it doesn't earn that shit at all. What it does have is amazing energy, a dark, mean-spirited, but uh, undeniably fun sense of humor, and the action sequences are off the fucking hook. <laughs> The movie is essentially stupid. It is. It's an empty, very mamby-pamby revenge film. 
and it's almost basically a remake of El Mariachi more than it is a sequel. <clears throat> Antonio Benderas or Benderas is a, a mariachi player, but uh, he's got a tragic past. His family was taken from him, his hands were badly injured so he couldn't play the guitar the way he used to, and he's on a mission of bloody revenge, and he's looking for Boudreau, who we eventually find out is his brother. <laughs> I have a dumb, stupid smile on my face while I'm watching the movie, and there's a few times where I just shake my head and say, wow, you guys really went there. But I can't not enjoy Desperado. <laughs> I see flaws all over the place. There's a sex scene between Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek, which I think is unintentionally howlingly hilarious. Like, I think it's one of the funniest sex scenes I've ever seen in just this over-the-top nature. And let me just say for the record, Selma Hayek is a goddess, okay? Like, at the risk of sounding like a heterosexual male, she is an amazingly beautiful person. And she is purely purely eye candy to have sex with and be rescued in this movie like it's pretty unapologetic in her role but I don't know she brings something to it and Antonio Banderas who is an actor I have a hard time reading because of his schizophrenic levels of quality sometimes I think Antonio Banderas is really good and sometimes I feel like he's a blank slate I think he absolutely does the job here I'm a believer in Banderas in this particular movie but in the end, it's kind of a mixed bag after all of that. I have a nostalgic attachment to it, and sort of like Bad Boys, I see the good qualities and I see the bad qualities, but I'm going to let the good qualities rule the day. It's a thumbs-up review for Desperado, but I acknowledge it's a deeply silly, silly movie. You know, I consider Desperado kind of an Evil Dead 2 sequel, yeah. where like... It, it works as a sequel technically, like it does, but it is it does function more as a remake because now the director has a bigger budget and wants to do the same thing, but on a grander scale. Um, I actually watched El, El Mariachi for the first time preparing for this, and, you know, it was good. It was impressive what he's able to do, but Desperado was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh, it's like a, a real movie with a budget and with actors. Um, so I definitely like Desperado better. So uh, Desperado is one... I, of all these movies, I made, I was maybe the worst, most worried about not having things to say about because the prevailing uh, attribute of this movie is that it is cool. Yeah. Desperado is cool. That is what it is most interested in being. That is what it's trying to be, uh, basically at every frame. Uh, Antonio Banderas, I, I like Antonio Banderas a lot, um, but I, I, I'm not super interested in his character of the mariachi in this movie because his character is cool. And there's not that much to him. Like, he's on a revenge mission. But, you know, of course he's on a revenge mission. It's, it's just that kind of movie. Uh, he's a cool guy with awesome long hair. He's, and I can say as a heterosexual male, he's insanely beautiful in this movie. He's got these flowing, long black hair, wielding two pistols in each hand. Like, he's dressed amazing. Like, he's so awesome. Uh, Selma Hayek, you know, I think technically on the page, I would agree that she is there to be eye candy. She is there to have sex with Antonio Banderas. But I just think she has more charisma than anyone else in the movie. So for me, the movie suffers a little bit when she's not on screen. Mm -hmm. uh, I, she's my favorite part of the movie. I just think she's so, she's maybe even a little bit out cools Antonio Banderas, even though like she doesn't get nearly as much to do as Antonio Banderas does, obviously. I'm not with you on the sex scene. I love the sex scene. Oh, I, I just I love how over the top it is. Like 
it's just so audacious. <laughs> like movies just don't have anything like that anymore. They don't. But um, do you I think like it was going? Are... Do you think it was going for hot, or do you think it was going for like silly over the top? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. I, I think movies these days are they're kind of draining sexuality out of humanity. Like the most popular movies these days are superhero movies, which I love, but you can't find more sexless movies no. than superhero movies. And I, I lament that a little bit. Um, and I like Desperado because it's so saying fuck you to like, <laughs> and it's, it's Desperado is very sex positive. Let's just say, <laughs> and I, I respect it. Uh, the action scenes, you know, the action scenes are total fantasy. They're very fun. For me, it feels like Robert Rodriguez is going for a John Woo kind of shootout sequences, which we'll get to later. Uh, I just don't think he's near as good at it as John Woo, so I don't find the shootouts as exciting as, as another movie we're going to talk about. But it is like, it, kind of like Michael Bay movies, it's just peppered with a lot of entertaining shit. I mean, it's got Steve Buscemi telling the story at the beginning. Steve Buscemi is super entertaining, and that sequence is great. Uh, it's got Quentin Tarantino as an actor telling a joke that... Not that funny. I think it's I just love Tarantino doing it, and yeah. I just love how he delivers it. I'm a big Tarantino guy, though, huge. So just seeing him in a movie just makes me happy. Um, so that sequence I enjoyed. Uh, you know, watching all these movies, I was thinking about, like, well, who are the standout villains? I think we're going to talk about a lot of generic villains. Yeah. Uh, Bad Boys didn't even mention it. It has a very generic villain. This movie, it's, uh, I believe you pronounce it as Joaquin de Almedia. And this guy plays the exact same character in every, every movie. In, in Clear and Present Danger, in Fast Five, in this, he is always the Spanish or Mexican villain. He's always giving the exact same performance. And it's always boring. So he doesn't work for me as a villain. And no, the reveal, just like you said, does not work for me either. It's not earned at all. See, the story of this movie, I'm just not that interested in. But it's cool. And is it entertaining? It's absolutely entertaining. I cannot deny that. And in 1995, it was the coolest. Like, oh hell yeah! Like uh, Tarantino was red hot off of Pulp Fiction, and Rodriguez was being ushered into Hollywood. He would soon bring us the Faculty and From Dusk Till Dawn. Like, <laughs> uh, this movie had cool all over it, and in a lot of ways, that's all it's interested in being. Which is why I let things go, like the howlingly frustrating, like Boudreaux is my brother sort of sequence. I don't want to. I don't want to spend the whole review talking about Salma Hayek because I know we've already covered it. I just wanted to say because it, it occurred to me while you were talking. Uh, I love that the first time we see her character, she inadvertently <laughs> causes a car accident, and she looks over her shoulder at the cars crashing and just smiles and laughs like that happens to her all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, the, the movie just lives in this not at all real but deeply pleasing world. And um, uh, that's one thing I really appreciate about Rodriguez. Like, I feel like almost all of his movies exist in the same world. <laughs> like, um, yeah. From Dust Till Dawn and Desperado exist definitely in the same universe, you know? And uh, I, I, I like that kind of filmmaker who just keeps on building on his world. Tarantino does that as well, like, uh, with his cigarette brands and his, like crossing over of, of like weird small details from film to film I've always liked that as an approach and uh, it felt new and fresh and edgy in the 90s I am glad that uh, watching it this many years later I still have a big smile on my face I guess it could have gone the other way like we're getting right properly into 90s nostalgia these days and 
I was worried that I was going to be laughing at the movie in kind of a bad way, but I was laughing with the movie. The movie knows that it's goofy. It does. And for me, that, that gives me, gives a lot of rope. <laughs> yeah. You guys can have as much fun as possible as long as you know that it's silly and as long as I'm having fun with you. If I feel like I'm no longer in on the joke or you've gone past fun into dumb, that's when the things lose momentum. And almost never does Desperado do that for me. So, thumbs up. <laughs> right on. I will say uh, a couple things. One, if I'm going to watch an Antonio Banderas action movie, that would be The Mask of Zorro. Okay. One of my favorite movies. Uh, I would go with that over Desperado. Uh, one other thing. Just as a quick plug, uh, my friend who's on my podcast a lot, Chris Hurtado, has a podcast called Inside the Sequel, uh, where he just talks about sequels, and he recently did an episode on Desperado. It's a really good podcast. Uh, he definitely likes it a lot more than, than Larry or I do, even though Larry and I both dig it, um, and I do recommend that for people. That's a great discussion on Desperado. Do it. Is there anything else you want to say about Desperado? No, I don't think so. It's cool as hell. It's yeah. fun. Like I do recommend it, but uh, there are movies on here I like more. Yeah, it's true. Um, it feels like we're giving it short treatment, but it's just a fast, dumb, slick action movie. And if you're in the market yeah. for that, you do it. That's that's what it is. To the university theater that we had here in Saskatoon called Class Riel in the uh, early to mid 90s. It was like when I'd first sort of been living on my own and, you know, <laughs> uh, was feeling the freedom and being able to go see R rated movies at midnight was, you know, awesome for me. And I made a lot of discoveries. And they would play a lot of Asian extreme action and martial arts movies. So one night I walked down to Place Riel to see this hard-boiled movie. I knew vaguely that it had a positive reputation, but I was not prepared <laughs> for what I was going to see. If you're familiar with John Woo, I guess one could say that hard-boiled is kind of ho-hum in its approach to the John Woo aesthetic, you know? There's a, a good character who's kind of got a heavy, dark, violent edge to him, and a bad character who's got a secret good side, and they're two sides of the same coin. And the action sequences are always going to be counterbalanced with beauty, usually birds or, or, or a baby, very memorably in this. There's, a, there's always a counterbalance to the violence going on, and either a sort of silly fun component or an extra layer to give a little bit more kick to any given action sequence. It does all of these things while still being a very sort of silly, over-the-top action movie. Like, during the hospital shootout in the third act of this movie, I'm sure several hundred people are gunned down <laughs> before us. There's no reality to the movie at all, and yet it keeps the tension and it keeps the energy throughout it. Is it riddled with cliches? Absolutely. 
Is it predictable? Absolutely. Is it bad? No, <laughs> it isn't. Like it's 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 cheesy and it's familiar and it's everything we've come to expect from John Woo. But you have to remember, like when this movie came out, uh, I sure hadn't seen anything quite like it. <clears throat> the aesthetics of the movie feels like he's making a quote American kind of stylized riff on like a Lethal Weapon type of movie. Well, I hear that with the saxophone cues and like the weird smoke-filled rooms when there's no reason for the rooms to be filled with smoke. Like aesthetically, he's sort of taking from America, but he has jammed the action sequences up to a whole different place. This introduced me to Chow Yun Fat. This introduced me to John Woo, and I just remember just shoveling the popcorn in my face, kind of being stunned and amazed at what I was seeing. John Woo's made a lot of movies since then, and his influence has been loud and proud. I don't think hard-boiled hits that hard today, but I'm just trying to <laughs> articulate like what a, what a shot of adrenaline this movie felt like at the time, and how I think it's an important historic kind of like stopgap for like what action movies were at that time and how they kind of jumped it up to another level. And it's a weird level to arrive in because it's not exactly realistic, but it kind of felt more real than some of the goofier action that we've been seeing in the age of Cobra and Lethal Weapon. It's every bit as stupid as them, but it's not treated as stupidly, but it still manages to wink at you and have fun. So I don't know quite how all these balls stay in the air, but it works for me. Does it work as well today as it did in 1988? No, but I don't think that's a reason to knock against the movie. You know, it's showing its age because it's like almost 40 years old. Okay, fair enough. <clears throat> I like hard-boiled. I still like hard-boiled. Has John Woo made other better films since then? Yes. Has he made other worse films since then? Yes. But hard-boiled put him on the map. And for that, I say thank you. That's where I start with hard-boiled. Okay, so after your more sober start to this uh it's, it's time for me to just get crazy um so i'm a big john woo fan Good. uh i have long liked a lot of his american stuff like hard target i mean a big, i'm a big man damn guy uh face off is great um i i fairly recently started getting deeper into like his hong kong stuff in fact i'm fairly new to hong kong action as a whole but i'm starting to get more into it um so i've seen things like the killer and a better tomorrow and hard boiled i watched for the first time just a few months ago and i can tell you larry hard boiled Absolutely hits just as hard today. Like, good, good. I think this movie is like, I, I think this movie is something of a masterpiece. I have absolutely nothing even slightly bad to say about Hard Boiled. <laughs> I think it's incredible. So it is, I mean, I guess you could say it is a little bit of a cliche cop movie in that, yes, he has the angry captain. Uh, yes, he is sort of, a, and he being the main character. Chow Yun Fat, Tequila. By, yeah, Tequila, played by Chow Yun Fat. Um, he is sort of a dirty Harry type, and that was very much on purpose. Uh, apparently, John Woo got criticized a lot before that for really glamorizing uh, gangsters, which you can really see in The Killer. Oh, John yes. Fat is the gangster, and he is the coolest motherfucker who ever walked the earth. Cooler <laughs> than Antonio Banderas and Desperado. Um, and in Hard Boiled, yeah, he's kind of trying to glorify cops. He's, he's trying to go the other direction and sort of make the government a little bit more happy. Um, so, yeah, Chow Young Fat is just the coolest cop ever seen in your life he's always got a toothpick hanging out of his mouth he's always yelling at his captain for not letting him go hard enough on the criminals it's and i just love that kind of thing it's like catnip it's so much fun to watch in a movie 
Um, just the insane level of swagger from Chow Young Fat. But the action scenes are just out of this world. I, I was watching, rewatching this movie just today, just thinking about like why are shootouts so much better in John Woo movies than they are in other movies? And I really think they are because generally in action movies, I would rather see a car chase or a like martial arts fight scene rather than a shootout. It's just people like standing apart shooting at each other. But in John Woo movies, they're so exciting. There's just an insane level of destruction going on. I mean, just entire areas get destroyed just because of guns, guys jump through the air firing two barrels at the same time that's very much a big john woo thing things explode when they hit uh there's a lot of slow motion generally there's a lot of doves certainly in the killer i don't i don't know that there's doves in hard-boiled not that i remember in the opening shootout there's a lot of birds in cages there's still some of that yeah some of that imagery still remains (laughs) absolutely and that that beginning shootout is beautiful and then the raid on the warehouse is insane and the third act one of my very favorite third acts in an action movie ever, the huge battle in the hospital. I love that Chow Young-Fat is saving a baby, and that's what it's all based on. It, when I watched it for the first time, it reminded me of the third act of the Alexander Aja Hills Have Eyes remake, right. where the whole thing is just that guy trying to save his baby, and that kind of comes from our boil. I love this movie, man. I'm a giant fanboy. It's interesting because a lot of it is so ludicrous that you almost should be slapping your forehead and saying too far, but somehow it never goes there. Like, you're right, people jump through the air diving at each other, firing two guns and two hands, and like, uh, people are dying left, right, and center, but then all of a sudden they'll focus on one guy, and that guy's death inexplicably has impact. Oh no! Not that guy, <laughs> right? Like, it's so bizarre. Um, I, I remember seeing it in the theater and, like, loving it and hating it at the same time. There's a scene where he's trying to save this baby and his pants get kept on fire and the baby pisses down his leg and puts the fire out. <laughs> and it's such a stupid moment. Like, it doesn't belong in this movie at all. But I wouldn't cut it at all either. It's like, it's... It's it's stupid, and yet it's somehow perfect for the movie. Because it is ludicrous. This movie is objectively stupid, but you don't treat it like that while you're watching it. You never question anything that happens in the movie, no matter how stupid it is. With Bad Boys and with Desperado, the first two movies that we reviewed in this one, stupid stuff would happen, but I would acknowledge it and like just say, like this is the, mo- the world the movie's playing in. For some reason, in John Woo's movies, I just accept it. You brought up Face Off earlier. If there's a more ludicrous action movie in the world than Face Off, I don't know that I want to see it, but I can't shit-talk Face Off. I just can't. I I wouldn't sit here and talk shit about Face Off. It's a completely ridiculous and kind of stupid movie, but I also really appreciate its existence. And this is the weird world that Hard Boiled, like, lives in. It's utterly absurd, but it is so awesome. (laughs) And I'm really glad to hear that you accepted it, because, I don't know, I was watching it, and I was still really liking it, but there's part of me that felt, I don't know if shame or embarrassment is the right thing, but it's just like, would would people get this now? Is is this still awesome? Because I sure think it's awesome. (laughs) But is it? It's kind of stupid if you're like... You have to approach it like a child, like you're a 12-year-old boy. And, and maybe that's what John Woo's talent really is. At least when he's not taking himself too self-seriously, like with like a wind talker type of movie. He just leans into the silly, and he loves it as much as you do. And 
for some reason, that just gives him a pass that a lot of movies wouldn't get. And yeah, he starts leaning on this more and more. If you start doing a study of John Woo movies, and you, you can just, you know, copy-paste elements. And now the slow motion, and now the doves, <laughs> and now he's going to light a cigarette because, you know, the action sequence is coming to an end. Like, it's all about how things look, even more than how things feel which is like the opposite of my typical approach to enjoying movies. But for these fun, dumb action movies, it works completely. I'm gushing about John Woo. I'm just gushing. <laughs> no, as you should. I just wouldn't use the word like stupid or silly. I just think John Woo creates his own reality. And I like it better than the reality of most other action movies to be honest like i love it i wouldn't want it any other way like i don't want john woo to make a realistic movie like other people can make realistic movies and they'll be just fine but that's not what john woo does he makes john woo movies it's and true and if you I want. if you watch some of his quote serious movies like wind talkers or red cliffs which they have really good action sequence to them but because they're on a real subject it, it almost feels like it doesn't belong like he wants to make a ludicrous action movie, so just make a ludicrous action movie. Don't try to be important. Try to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I love the motif in John Woo movies of two sides of the same coin. It's uh, definitely at its peak in The Killer, where it's so epic and emotional. Uh, in Hard Boiled, it's not quite to that level, but it's uh, Alan, I think, is the undercover cop character. He is a great badass character. Him and Tequila have a lot of chemistry on screen together. Um, I think Johnny... Uh, who I believe is the main villain in this movie one of the best villains we're going to talk about he is so gross and despicable and I hate him so much but I also love that he has this henchman named Mad Dog who's who awesome. like the killer with honor yeah. and Johnny does not have any honor and that causes conflict between them and that results in some great dramatic uh, moments too man this movie fucking rules <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to hear you say this. I was worried that I was going to have to play defense for it because I, I can't undercut. There is a, there's a percentage of silliness to the movie. And if you've seen any police procedure or any, any police thriller ever, you've seen this movie. Like, it really doesn't bring anything at all new to the table. It's all style, presentation, and like we were talking about in Desperado, the cool. I'm sort of amazed that Chow Young Fat didn't make the crossover to like popularity on this side of the ocean. John Woo made it, Jet Li made it, Jackie Chan made it. Where was Chow Young Fat? That motherfucker is cool. <laughs> I guess like in America, like we just want the Asian action stars to do martial arts. I guess. Sucks. I wish that wasn't the case, but that seems to be the common factor of Asian stars that cross over here. Yeah. And Chow Young Fat's not really a martial arts guy. No, he's an actor, but he's so cool. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, like him in a, a Better Tomorrow, the coolest dude. Yeah. He's the coolest. So, if you're looking for cool and maybe style as substance, and that sounds like an insult, but I'm not treating it like that. Like, typically I say uh, style as substance movies don't work for me. John Woo is such a good filmmaker that his style as substance movies totally work for me. He's the exception to the rule. So, I, to me, that made this movie special. And do you, you know how it is? Like, this was my first John Woo movie. Like, it was my first Asian extreme action movie. And it just, it hit my sweet spot. This and uh, Drunken Master 2, I swear I saw within a week of each other for the first time. And they kind of changed my world. They kind of, like, yeah. like, 
Holy shit. I, I, I thought that I'd seen action before, but I guess I hadn't. So, I think I've significantly gushed enough about Hardboiled. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, just that I wish it was more easy for people to see. It's not streaming on any platforms, but man, if you can somehow get a hold of it, get a hold of it. Watch Hardboiled. Do it. Russo, check in. Hold on a minute. Looks like he's coming around. You see that? Yes, I thought I did it. Hang on. Officer McLean, I need you to behave. Daddy? What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go kill this guy and get my daughter. I'll go get my daughter and kill this guy. Or kill all of them. Confession! Did you want to say something? Die Hard 4, or uh, as it likes to be called, Live Free or Die Hard. Um, there was a large gap between the third and fourth Die Hard, and Bruce Willis was getting old, and certainly his passion for acting seemed to be waning. He was clearly past his best before date. Between that and this being the first ever Die Hard movie to be rated PG, a lot of people kind of went in shields up, Almost it felt like wanting to not like Die Hard 4. The DVD edition I have of this is the unrated edition, so I guess it has the benefit that the theatrical version of this didn't, is that it has a little bit more teeth and tissue and a little bit more of the language that we become accustomed to in a Die Hard franchise. But in the end of the day, my problem with Die Hard 4 has less to do with a less committed Bruce Willis <laughs> and the PG rating as to like the approach to this whole uh, what do they call it the fire sale yeah um this whole tech uh villain that timothy oliphant is anchoring the movie on is very dated uh, in, in a weird way die hard 4 is going to age worse than almost any of the other die hard movies like you watch the first die hard and you think that the tech in that high-tech building is kind of retro now right and Die Hard 2 feels very 90s, but it works within the aesthetic of the 90s. And I actually have a lot of fun with Die Hard 3, seeing John McClane running around the entirety of New York instead of being boxed into one small location really worked for me as far as changing up the formula a little bit. This movie's really trying, and I like the director. Jonathan Mostow has done some interesting things in the past, and I think that it has some good sequences. <clears throat> the problem is that it's part of a really amazing action movie franchise. Um, in the end of the day, it's okay, but on the backs of the Die Hard movies, and I'm not as big on the second one, but I, I admit that it's entertaining and it, it does work enough to put a smile on my face. It just doesn't hold the same amount of water for me as the other Die Hard movies. It is very much a lesser Die Hard movie. That said, if you're in the mood to watch a Die Hard movie, you can watch this one. I don't think it 
does any real violence like to the franchise as far as oh they've destroyed Die Hard for me. They they they, they make a worse Die Hard movie <laughs> than this. But I, it's just a movie that I want to like more than I do overall. It's okay. It's okay. But I kind of wanted it to be awesome. And maybe I bring baggage to it. Uh, at the time, I was kind of a Timothy Oliphant fan. Like, uh, I really liked Deadwood, the, the HBO show that he did. And I remember seeing him in an early 90s or maybe late 90s movie called Go. Before he'd, like, connected, he played this drug dealer in that movie. And I remember thinking, I like that guy. He's pretty cool. He didn't have a great part in Scream 2, but like, <clears throat> it was good for his career to be in that movie, and he did what he could with a pretty goofy role in that movie. And then I heard Timothy Oliphant's going to be the bad guy in Die Hard 4, and I got kind of excited. And that was a mistake. <laughs> I think he's playing it too close to his chest. Honestly, like, as much as I'm a fan of that actor, you're in a Die Hard movie. Have a little bit of fun with it. Have a little bit of fun with this. Um, and again, like, the secondary characters are fine. I, I mean, I've never thought that, um... Justin Long. Justin Long. I mean, he's fine, but I've never been blown away by Justin Long. I never felt like a movie was made or broken by the presence of Justin Long. It's got a cameo from Kevin Smith, which is actually pleasing enough. Uh, when I heard about that, I was a little bit worried, to be honest, but I didn't think it was too obnoxious. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's okay it's okay. It's neither as bad as a lot of people have claimed it to be, nor is it good enough, do I think, to necessarily proudly hold the Die Hard mantle. So I'm kind of right down the middle on Die Hard 4. I won't give it a thumbs down, but I can't be enthusiastic about it. Sure. Yeah, okay, so this is for all the people listening who are like, who is this guy on this podcast? He just likes every action movie. Like, is he objective at all? I do not like Live Free or Die Hard. Okay. I really don't like this movie. Uh, I, I saw this movie back in theaters in 2007. 2007, I would have been 14. <laughs> and it was one of like the first pure action movies that my dad took me to see in the theater. So I could see it with my dad. So that, that was exciting. And I had good memories of that. But this was my first time rewatching it. And even though it's streaming on Amazon Prime, uh, I bought a used DVD on eBay so I could see the unrated cut. The unrated cut didn't really help. Uh, I, I mean, like, there's a couple of fucks in there that aren't in the theatrical movie. Uh, there's a couple that they just ADR in when we can't see Bruce Willis's mouth, and it sounds like a different audio quality. And it's kind of awkward. But that aside, uh, this I think you're absolutely right on how this movie does not age well. I, I kept thinking while I was watching this movie, this is like the most okay boomer action movie I've ever seen <laughs> in the way that it is just so insufferable with the tech fear-mongering and just how much it's just like an old guy's wet dream of like ah oh, see all this technology is just gonna screw us and i have to drag along this millennial played by justin long and he's insufferable and he's always complaining he's not a real man like us old boys and that's just kind of the whole movie for me i do not like justin long in this movie i think he's pretty insufferable I don't understand why every Die Hard movie now has to copy Die Hard with a Vengeance and be a buddy movie, when the right. first two are not buddy movies. But even if it has to be a buddy movie, my God, you have Mary Elizabeth Winstead in this movie as his daughter. And like for anyone who's seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, 10 Cloverfield Lane, even uh, Birds of Prey, yeah. she's awesome. And like yeah. she would have been so much better to be the person running around the city with Bruce Willis than Justin Long. I think my favorite Justin Long is just in uh, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. He's fine as the concerned boyfriend, but other than that, 
not really a big fan of him. Oh, that's the uh, thing. So he's yeah. fine. Yeah, he's just fine. He's fine. F-I-N-E. Like, I've never been, wow. <laughs> like, or there's never been a role that Justin Long played where I can't imagine anyone else would play the part. It seems unfriendly. I don't necessarily think he sucks. I just, I've never been, wow, that was amazing. The closest I came, actually, was that ridiculous Kevin Smith movie, Tusk. Because uh, uh, he, it's a ridiculous movie, but Long plays it 100% straight. And it's strange to watch, but in that particular movie, I think he works. But yeah, no, he's not particularly good foil for for Bruce Willis. And you're right, like this is like the entitled old fart, you know, teaching these youngins how they don't know how shits needs to be, and like his way is the, always the better way. <clears throat> but to say some like a lot of stuff that people were making fun of the the ludicrousness of the the, the movie. Actually, some of that stuff is the stuff that put a smile on my face. When he launches a taxi cab into the air and destroys a helicopter with it. Is that stupid? Yes, it is stupid. Is it awesome? Yes, it is yeah, awesome. It's like, it's like a part where the movie wakes up. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, something cool happened, finally. There's a scene that is so ridiculous. It's probably the stupidest single sequence in any Die Hard movie, where it's John uh, McClane versus a jet. <laughs> And, like, they destroy this whole section of uh, of raised highway, and, like, he John McClane should have died about six or seven times over within that one sequence. But by that point in the movie, everything had become so ludicrous that I did have that aforementioned dumb smile on my face while it happened. They've completely broken the rules of reality, even by a diehard franchise at this point, but I was kind of like, wow, <laughs> when I watched it. Like, it doesn't get it over the hill, it doesn't... It it just sucks that it's coming off of the back of three, I think, pretty damn solid action movies. Like, I wonder if this movie wasn't called Die Hard 4, if it was called, you know, The Fire Sale or something like that, would I like it more? Is it because they've tarnished the Die Hard brand that, that, that I'm a little bit more angry with this movie than I should be? I've also been watching all the Die Hard movies with my son, and Owen's super into them. He's He gets excited by them. And I kind of get off on his energy sometimes just watching it with him because he just he's, he's super excited by it. He's never seen these Die Hard movies and each one is a new discovery for him. So I think that helped me get through Die Hard 4. But I, I think it's coming through. We're not super enthusiastic here. <laughs> no. Now, did you feel like this was just a generic script? And then at one point they wrote John McClane into the movie and were like, now it's a Die Hard movie. Yeah, that's but the that's, vibe I get. that's exactly what they did with Die Hard 2 and 3, though. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> of course. It's very well, common. Yeah, I knew that about 3. I didn't know about 2. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, like, like that, they, they've been fishing around any other... If a good action script comes out, I got this feeling like there's some executive who looks at it and says, yes, but can we make it a Die Hard movie? <laughs> <Right? Yeah. laughs> I'm not a big fan of the series overall like I, I think I'm a rare diehard fan because I don't hear people talk about this very much where like I really care about his relationship with his wife right so I love the first movie I like that the arc of that is that they get back together I love the second movie too even though like it's sillier but I think it's fun as hell and I like that they're actually together in that movie and then every diehard movie after that it seems like how can we make uh, John McClane more alone and miserable and I'm just not into that. Like, I like to kind of pretend the rest don't exist and that John McClane is happily married and he's a happy dude because, good lord, he's earned it after yeah. what he went through in Die Hard 1 and 2. 
Um, so I, I, I love Die Hard 1 and 2, but I'm not big on the series overall, and I'm definitely not big on Live Free or Die Hard. It's also, like, it's such an ugly movie. Like, it's so digital, it almost looks like a commercial. Like, it, yeah. doesn't, look like a, it doesn't look like a film. Uh, Can- Canadian actress Maggie Q plays sort of like a, a, a second-level villain. Like, a, 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 there's a boss battle that happens with her <laughs> about two-thirds of the yeah. way through the movie. And it's an interesting sequence because we have, like, a vehicle hanging and tangled up inside an elevator shaft and a fight taking place within that vehicle. And it's like ludicrous and like a ridiculous place to end up. But I have to say, I've never seen an action sequence like that before. <laughs> like, That's a good point. Yeah, uh, and uh, Maggie Q has earned her hateability by this level, so I did kind of enjoy seeing her drop down the elevator shaft. Like, there are moments that work in the movie. I just think that Every Die Hard before this one has been better than this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is the sad stale, tale of Die Hard, I guess, in a lot of ways. It's diminishing returns. I controversially do, like I say, defend the third one. I would maybe say that the, I like the third slightly more than the second, but for the most part, we have an amazing establishing movie in the first Die Hard, and then things just get slightly worse and get slightly worse and get slightly worse. Just by the time we get to the Mother Russia Die Hard, they actively suck. And it just, it's too bad because it started in such a great place. So uh, it's one of these movies, like I said earlier, if uh, we might be hanging it on the charges of the movie we wanted it to be more on the, against the charges of the movie that it is. But I will stand by, as much as I'm a fan of Timothy Oliphant and Remain It, he was a disappointing villain in this movie. And you're absolutely right that they underused Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She should have been in the car with him. She should have been his sidekick. They established in the opening scene this broken relationship between the two of them. And then they don't talk to each other for the entire movie. He just rescues her and that earns her love. Yeah, that's it. And then she flirts with Justin Long for yeah. some reason. You're right. Like, if Justin Long was the hacker, but for some reason they were keeping him alive, there was some piece of information, and they needed to rescue Justin Long, and he and his daughter had to, like, level up and work together to get that, maybe we would have had... It would have felt more personal. Yeah. But it's a it's a thing with action movies, and I think you'll see it with John Wick, and you'll see it in the Lethal Weapon movies, is that it's usually better for the script and the story and the energy of the movie if our hero is suffering. You know, if Martin Riggs in, in, in the Lethal Weapon movies is, like, not crazy and hasn't lost his wife and isn't, like, off the hook and dangerous, and then he loses his edge. Then he becomes another generic cop figure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we want to kind of keep it complex, but not to the area where it's going to take away from the fun of what is a ludicrous action movie. It's actually a, a tougher balance to strike than people maybe realize. I will say, uh, there's another villain in this movie, and I can't remember his name, but he's a French parkour martial artist. Uh, you may notice, because he only has two or three lines in the movie, because I don't think he speaks English, but the way he bounces off buildings and does all these crazy acrobatics. You can watch a couple of French films called District 13 and District 13 Ultimatum if you want to see more of that guy oh, yeah. doing his shit. He is an amazing like, physical talent. And I enjoyed seeing him. And that's the thing. There's, there's parts of the movie where it lights up, where it feels like just for a few minutes, there's the diehard movie I've been wanting. <laughs> and having those moments 
actually weirdly hurt the movie because it reminds you <laughs> of like where we could be here, what what we really wanted to be seeing. So I don't know. I think largely that people have been too hard on the movie, but I don't want to oversell it either because it's just it doesn't measure up with other Die Hard movies. But it's not the worst action movie ever made, not by a good margin. I've seen a lot worse movies than this. It's professionally executed. As much as Bruce Willis might not be invested, it feels like most people around him are at least trying real hard. Some of them seem even excited to be in a Die Hard movie. Say what you will about Justin Long, I think that he was kind of jazzed that he was in a Die Hard <laughs> And I wish that Bruce Willis was. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, and that's probably one of the problems with the Die Hard series is you don't have a star who, like, cares and wants to guide the series. Like, Tom Cruise, man, he cares about Mission Impossible movies. Right. You don't have that with the Die Hard movies. Yeah, he, he might even care too much. <laughs> there's a problem yeah. of caring too little, and there's a problem of caring too much. To the point where he's probably going to die on set making <laughs> one of these movies. That's when we know we've got the last Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Good enough? Good enough. Nick Parker is quick as a snake. Strong as a bull. Not to mention blind as a bat. Nice doggy. Watch your pattern, you blind! Yeah. Holy sh He came for a friendly visit. Blind man. But his timing was a little off. Now, a young boy wants his guidance. Did you ever cry? The strong man is never afraid to cry. They've got him, don't they? Where's my son? He's here. He's fine. And the boy's father needs his help. Now, if you want to keep him that way... Unreasonable men make life so difficult. The blind Zorro. If you can't handle it, get me somebody that can. Get me Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is dead. Then get his brother. Wetger Hauer. I also do circumcision. Blind Fury. So when I first moved to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, uh, I, I think I, it was like 12 or 13 years old, and I was not happy about it. I was being uprooted from like my comfortable little small town life in Alberta, <laughs> and I didn't want to come here. And I think my parents could, could tell that. And they also knew that I was a movie crazy person, so they got Super Channel. We got this pay subscription movie channel. It's Canadian version of it. I'm sure you have something like it in the United States. And for some reason, when we first got it, I watched it all of the time because I was so excited about it. They played this Rudger Hauer movie called Blind Fury, like, all of the time. <laughs> like, it seemed like four or five times a week, Blind Fury was going to make this cycle. And it was one of these movies, like, I was young, I was, like, just into my, starting my teens. And I just kept watching it, and kept watching it, and kept watching it. And the way I felt about it then is absolutely the way I feel about it now. It's like, it's not exactly great. <laughs> it's not exactly amazing. They're taking this Zatoichi, the blind swordsman sort of storyline, which is a, a very epic franchise overseas, and they're, you know, doing an American white guy version of it. So, right on its face, it's, it, it seems like it, 
a little bit cringy, but like, okay, let's see, what are we going to do with it? It's strange because it's got this buddy dynamic between the blind swordsman and this little kid that he's rescued. His little kid's mom's been assassinated, and he's trying to get this kid to his dad, who's an old war buddy. And um, it's a paint-by-numbers movie. Like, just by my description, I feel like anybody who's watched any action movie would basically be able to tell me the beats that play out in this movie and probably not be wrong about it. I also think that the little kid who's like got an awful lot of screen time and is the quote emotional heart of the movie, as much as I don't like to be hard on child actors, not that strong of an actor. It's all about Rudger Hauer and it's all about these supporting roles and these action sequences. Philip Noyce is the director. He did uh, uh, that Harrison Ford Patriot Games action movie and Clear and Present Danger and he, he went on to bigger, better things. The thing is, I just, I understand how someone watched this movie and say, you know, this movie is just way better than it has any business being. It's not exactly, like, awesome or anything like that, but it just somehow works more than it should for me. Now, again, this is a movie that I watched a hell of a lot when I was young and impressionable, and I understand that it might be personal to me. It also has the ping-ponging aesthetic is that it feels like it's a PG movie. It feels like it's this buddy bonding comedy between Rutger Howard and this little kid. But the darkness in the movie kind of weighs everything down so that it wouldn't be fun for kids. Like this kid's mom gets killed in front of him. <laughs> and like there is actually pretty substantial violence in it. And these actors, Terry O'Quinn, uh, at the time, maybe not such a hot name, but a really solid supporting actor. Canadian actor Randall Tex Cobb, who used to do a lot of heavy support roles in action movies of the era. He, he's a pretty fun villain in this movie. Yes, it feels a little bit kid-friendly, even though it isn't. And yes, it feels a little bit made for TV, even though it isn't. But I've got this guilty affection for the movie. I know it's not amazing, but I kind of like it, Daniel. I kind of like it. So this is where I'm starting with Blind Fury. I have no credibility as a critic. Man, get rid of that guilt. Who cares about your credibility? Blind Fury is a lot of fun. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time for this. And, and, you know, I kind of set up at the beginning talking about my love for action movies. I love a cheesy 80s action movie like I do. Like, I I even love the stuff from canon. I love the canon ninja trilogy Mm -hmm. uh, with Shokasugi. And, by the way, Shokasugi is in this movie. Mm -hmm. So this movie's just kind of in my comfort sweet spot, you know? Like, it's just really, really fun. And you're right that it just has a lot of great talent as, as far as the actors. Um, you know, Rutger Hauer is is fantastic. If you don't know who, how great Rutger Hauer is, like, you just watch Blade Runner. He's yeah. amazing. And um, I really like him in this movie. I was doing a little reading about the movie. He said this was one of his most difficult jobs because he had to figure out how to be blind and he had to learn the martial arts stuff. So it was a tough role for him. But I think he just nails it. He's very, very likable. He really nails that, uh, like, lone gunman from, like, a Western sort of uh, archetype where, like, he comes into the the um, civilized society, to the family units, only when there's trouble and when he needs to help. But then when things are peaceful again, there's no place for him and he has to leave. And that's kind of where the character ends up. Uh, so I like that archetype for the character. Uh, that's also very much a samurai archetype as yeah. well. 
But the movie, it has a lot of great martial arts action scenes, like Shokasugi is in it. There's a great fight scene with Rucker Hauer and Shokasugi. Um, it has a lot of humor, especially with the villains. Like a lot of the villains' henchmen are very, very goofy. But the movie gets some jokes out of that. I just, I, it kind of cracked me up when I was thinking, well, Stan Lee like created this science fiction uh, origin story for Daredevil, to where like it's some kind of radioactive thing that gives him these powers. But Rucker Hauer essentially has the same powers, but it's yeah. just he learned it in Vietnam. Yeah. Apparently, Vietnamese people have this power because they're not white, I guess, and then they can teach white people superpowers. It's uh, it is silly, but it's got a lot of great talent. The director obviously knows what he's doing. He did do those two Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movies, like you mentioned, and it's just super fun. I yeah. take the hell out of it, man. Sometimes fun is enough. I yeah. will say that if you're a person who knows somebody who is blind or takes that kind of like treatment of people who have a disability seriously, there will be stuff to find in this movie that will rub you the wrong way. Because, yeah, he's an amazing swordsman and he can hear the moves and the swing of the other person's sword quick enough to block and, 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 and parry. But, like, earlier in the movie there's these goofy jokes of him, like, stepping over a crocodile and saying good doggy right and i th think like it's it's when the movie's trying to be funny and failing is the movie when it kind of gets a little bit embarrassing and cringy for me at times but i i will continue your praise of redger Hauer. like he feels like even though everybody knows who he is and everybody like has a, some level of appreciation for redger Hauer, like he never got properly recognized, as far as I'm concerned. Like, everybody knows Blade Runner. Even if you don't know that that guy was Rudger Hauer, you know that that was an amazing sort of climax to an amazing science fiction movie. And then all of a sudden, we almost like the villain more than we like our hero. That change happens in one scene. Bravo. But I think he's good in movies like The Hitcher, where he's essentially just playing a mad slasher. Or uh, an underappreciated 80s uh, fantasy called Lady Hawk where uh, he plays a guy where by night he's a wolf and by day he's a man and the woman he loves by day is a, 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 a hawk and by night is a beautiful woman. It's kind of a forgotten thing of the 80s, but Rutger Hauer ended up doing like dozens of these direct-to-video shitty action movies and I think that Blind Fury might get lumped in with them and it doesn't deserve that. <laughs> And Rutger Hauer didn't deserve to get lumped into the direct-to-video thing otherwise. I think he's really good at convincing me that he can't see, especially in the fight scenes. In a way, I'm almost as convinced of his blindness as I am about the skill of the martial arts. There's a great fight that he has with uh, Randall Tex Cobb in these closed quarters where uh, Cobb gets away by smashing a bureau and, and running away during the cacophony of noise. But before that happens, the blade passes in front of his face so closely that it cuts off the rim of his hat and cuts the cigar out of his mouth. <laughs> it's just these little details like that that maybe go, oh, well played, you guys. And the whole time this is going on, Rudger Hauer's just listening. You see him standing there and you can see him listening. And that's a skill. That is an acting skill. Like, show me that you're listening, Daniel. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> I know that you're listening. But how do you show me that you're listening? Rudger Hauer does that and does it well. Do you agree with me about the little kid? No, I, I actually don't. I, I remember thinking I liked the kid in the movie, the actor. 
because he just comes across like a dumb shithead in the way that, yes, nine-year-old boys are often dumb shitheads. Like, I, I think a lot of times kids in movies are portrayed to be too smart and too precocious because it's cute or it's entertaining. But this is a dumb nine-year-old boy, and I found it realistic. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't like to pick on... Y- young actors like like they're they're put in a really high pressure situation and it's probably their first job and like I don't want to be mean about it but I think we were supposed to be won over by this kid over time yeah he's gone through trauma and you know he's been difficult and they end up bonding but I think it's Rudger Hauer that makes me believe that relationship more than it is that kid I don't know it's just how I've always felt about it <laughs> again it's kind of a mean thing to do I also wanted to mention Meg Foster. Meg Foster, uh, of course, she played Evil Inn in the Masters of the Universe movie, which is, I'm sure, what she wants to be remembered for. She's another one of these actresses. I've seen her in a few things, actually, recently. She, like, disappeared for a while. She has the craziest eyes on her of, like, any actress in the world. There's, she should be cast as a witch or a hypnotist or, or some ethereal... Yes. Like, she's got these deeply green jewel-like eyes that uh, weirdly you cannot look away from them like I almost she's got this scene where she's literally dying on the couch she's bleeding out dying and begging this essential stranger to take care of her son and the whole time I'm just thinking your eyes your eyes (laughs) (laughs) I really like Meg Foster uh, especially in They Live the John Carpenter movie of course and she was a witch in Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem oh yeah that's right very very creepy um, I, I liked her casting in this because I, you know, I like Meg Foster. When Meg Foster shows up, I care about that character. And when she died, that bummed me out. Yeah. And, and it should, so it made me sad to see her go. Yeah. Again, it's another one of these movies that doesn't reinvent the wheel. You can see it's a piecemeal of things that built out of other movies. Like the, like I say, the blind swordsman Zatuichi has these adventures all over the place. Uh, he's sort of like the littlest hobo, but he's like the blind, blind swordsman. He just wanders into a place, does some good deed, and then wanders on to the next place. And I kept on waiting as a kid for Blind Fury 2. Where's Blind Fury 2, 3, and 4? And God damn it, I'm still waiting. I know Rutger Hauer's dead, but I still want <laughs> You know, I can accept a recast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it it's surprises me how much it overperforms, and I was totally willing to be sitting here embarrassed and red-faced playing defense for it. I'm thrilled that you're on the same page as me. But it's one of those movies, like, I, for the longest time, I really felt like I was the only person who, like, even knew about it or gave a shit about it. I'm glad to hear that it's being discovered. I don't know, because Rudger Hauer passed away recently, if there's been just more interest in him, but um, it really felt like this movie came and went, and it was forgotten by everybody except me. So, in a weird way, as much as this nowhere near the best of this list of movies... If there's a movie on this list that you haven't seen that I would encourage you to check out, it's kind of Blind Fury. Like, it's nowhere near as technically proficient as, like, you know, hard-boiled, but it's got this goofy charm to it. I, I can't even properly articulate it, but the movie is just kind of sweetly charming while being this bloody samurai movie. And uh, it's hard to compare to anything else. It's sort of scrappy, fun, garage sale kind of fair martial arts, and I like it, and I'm I'm not going to apologize for it. 
Don't do it. No, I, uh, I love the way you put it. It's, it's a sweet movie that's also a Bloody Samurai movie. And I will tell you, you are not even the only person I know who is a Blind Fury fan. So oh, good. No worries. Well, again, like, I just never hear people talking about it. That doesn't mean that they aren't. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's weird because, like, I talk about guilty pleasures in the podcast a lot. Like, if a movie is not technically well made, but it just it somehow entertains and makes a sm- puts a smile on your face... Is it, a, is it a good movie? <laughs> like, I think this is a good movie. It's kind of dumb and by the numbers, but it's a good movie. <laughs> no, I think so, too. I, I think it's a good movie. Um, you know, when it comes to action movies, it's pretty much up and done. Like, don't we go to action for the plot. We've seen hero versus villain. We've seen all the variations. It's kind of how you do it. And Blind Fury finds a way to be a little bit original, at least for an American movie. I understand it's taking some things from Japanese cinema and things like that. But I just think it executes it well. And that's kind of all you can hope for from an 80s action movie. Yeah. And like you said, they didn't have all the tools. All the tools in the toy box. Like, this was a low budget. I don't think it was direct-to-video, but it has that direct-to-video feel. (laughs) Uh, and everybody went on to bigger, better things, and there was good reason for that. So, yeah, yeah check out Blind Fury, people. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Uh, one quote I wrote down from a movie that I loved, Rucker Hauer, one point says, Unreasonable men make life so difficult. <laughs> That's so true. Truth, man. Truth. <laughs> this is going to be a great day, Johnny. The taxpayers of Lanka, Utah, they knew that they were paying a federal agent to surf and pick up girls. Babes. Big one. The correct term is babe, sir. Adios, amigo! So just to get it out of the way, the fact that they remade Point Break is one of the stupidest things ever. I don't want to talk about the remake a lot, like for this movie, we're talking about the 1991 Point Break starring Sir Keanu Reeves and Sir Patrick Swayze. (laughs) Okay, as far as I'm concerned, there is no other Point Break, (laughs) goddammit. That's how I feel. Point Break. It's called Fast and the Furious. That's right. That's we right. We need a second Point Break remake. Point Break is a fascinatingly ludicrous crime thriller directed by uh, Academy Award-winning Catherine Bigelow. It is incredibly, incredibly stupid, and it's completely straight-faced about its stupidity. And in a way, it's doing the exact opposite of what I said I wanted from an action movie. The main character, Johnny Utah, is incredibly, like, (laughs) cliched, and, like, the arc of that character is almost nauseatingly familiar. And Bodie, this whole, this (laughs) Patrick Swayze character, who surfs and parties and robs banks and just lives his life on the edge and full of adrenaline, is, like, a cartoon character. 
the movie takes itself seriously when it's just on its face ridiculous. It's bonkers. It's stupid. And I love every fucking second of it. It's completely ridiculous. Like, it's... I, I can't defend the screenplay. I can't defend the characters. I can't defend... But just the sheer aggressive momentum of the movie gets you through it. The only time that the movie really slows down for me is when it's trying to build a relationship between Laurie Petty and Keanu Reeves, which I just don't particularly care about. But we're talking about maybe 10, 15 minutes in this two-hour and five-minute action movie. <laughs> what it's really about is guys wearing masks of uh, ex-presidents robbing banks. It's about surfing. It's about Keanu Reeves bonding with the guy he's supposed to be <laughs> bringing down. And it's about these amazing adrenaline-pumping action scenes. I remember being in the theater, seeing this for the first time, and there's a scene where Keanu Reeves jumps out of an airplane without a parachute, and the entire theater pretty much simultaneously went, holy shit. <laughs> and that's where this movie lives. It is by far the dumbest movie that we've talked about in this collection of movies, which includes Desperado, Blind Fury, and Die Hard 4. And it's also, in my humble opinion, the best of them. Am I crazy? Well, you just said you can't defend the things about this movie. Uh, let me try. Okay. So, Point Break is, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it has been for many, many years. Uh, it's a movie that I hold very, very close to my heart. And it's not just a movie that makes me happy. It's not just a movie that I find entertaining. I legitimately think it does not give enough credit how good it is. And I don't think you're giving enough credit. Okay. You should, because you love it. And I love it, too. So, first of all, just one of my favorite things about this movie is I just find it so... Like, a lot of people would call it cheesy. But I just find it so earnestly sincere. And it has such a complete lack of irony about anything. Uh, it, it's it's a very silly premise, but it takes it so seriously, but not too seriously, like, say, a random example that I talked about on my podcast recently, Dracula Untold. That right. has a silly premise, is dead serious about it the whole way. But this movie still has a lot of fun along the way. Uh, Keanu Reeves, I am a huge fan of Keanu Reeves. Uh, I think his performance gets made fun of a lot in this movie unfairly. Johnny I Utah. Think it's perfect. Johnny Utah. I think it's perfect for the character. Uh, the character is this incredibly earnest and naive guy who is very new to the situation he's in and is not prepared for it. Yeah. And that's kind of what Keanu Reeves is in this movie. It's sort of a meta-commentary. Uh, we have to give Catherine Bigelow credit for knowing that Keanu Reeves can be an action star because he had not an action star. This was the guy from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Speed had not exactly. happened yet. <laughs> exactly. And I just think his sort of sweetness... Fits Johnny Utah perfectly in what the character should be. Now, Patrick Swayze is a much better actor than Keanu Reeves, but that's perfect for the role because it makes Bodhi this much more confident and charismatic and more powerful presence than Johnny, which is exactly what you want. You, you totally buy Patrick Swayze as just this force that everything around him is drawn to. Like, you meet Bodhi, you want to hang out with Bodhi. If you're a woman, you want to fuck Bodhi. Yeah. Bodhi is the man. And yeah. Patrick Swayze, there's nobody better for that. And then the movie's just populated with great actors and supporting roles. I love that Laurie Petty is such a strange choice. She's not the typical action movie love interest. She's a weird actress. She's really quirky. I love that. Gary Busey is Ugh. brilliant. Yeah, that's... Brilliant in this movie. 
it might be the high watermark for Gary Busey for me. And like, that's a weird thing to say. Like he, he was Buddy Holly and he's given really good supporting roles, but like, he's awesome in this movie. And again, what is he? He's the likable partner who gets killed. He's like, like a walking, talking cliche, but God, does he ever deliver? Like, I remember again in the theater when Gary Busey's character got shot, like, I was like, no! I knew it was going to happen. It was so clearly going to happen. But still, he gets shot in the back, and you're like, oh, dude! (laughs) Yes. And and regarding the screenplay, I honestly think this movie does not get enough credit for its screenplay. Really? My favorite thing about it is the dialogue. (laughs) I love the dialogue in this movie because it is so hyper stylized and fantastical and so memorable and entertaining is it realistic no but honestly okay i've been kind of dancing around this this whole podcast fuck realism i don't care <laughs> yeah it is not what i come to movies for i don't i don't give a shit i mean to kind of give the audience the listeners an idea of how little i care about realism i'm a big fan of italian horror from like the 70s and 80s lucio fulci dario argento Mario Bava. I love that stuff. It's not realistic surreal. at all, but yeah. I am a big fan of the surreal and like that. And Point Break is surreal, but it's very hyper-stylized dialogue that exists in Gary's world. And it's so memorable and it's so much fun to listen to. And there's so many memorable lines. Like when, uh, just as an example, when Keanu Reeves shows up at the FBI place for the first time and his captain says, well, hey, I guess we must have an asshole shortage around here. Yeah so good there's just a million memorable lines in this movie that's and then the action sorry go ahead no that that's john c mcginley the guy you're talking about the actor there he also has that young dumb and full of cum line in that sequence so good uh that was what they call one of the first great walk and talk sequences it got popularized by like the west wing and other like sorkin-esque sort of scripts where two or three characters walk in an elaborate circle for one steady cam shot and we get out a bunch of exposition that's one of the first times i remember seeing it done or at least done that well was in was in point break and i always remember john c mcginley in that role because it's a small little like supporting role but he just pops out of there that that actor he does a lot of work with uh, oliver stone and he almost always plays small supporting roles and he almost always fucking nails it <laughs> so i'm a big yes. big appreciator of him um my yeah, we're, one we're, problem a few angry captains in this series. yeah a lot of captains yelling at people the one <laughs> thing about point break that i have to say as much as i've been pretty enthusiastic about like how much i love it i do not love the very very ending of this movie okay the uh you know Bodhi disappears, the rest of his gang has been killed, and we fast forward however many months, and Keanu Reeves knows that Bodhi's going to be at this specific location because there's a crazy wave coming that he wants to ride. And then Keanu Reeves, after all he's gone through, after all of this, he releases Bodhi so that Bodhi can commit suicide in this wave, and then he tosses his badge into the ocean, and he walks away. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know that the entire movie had been over the top and silly, but that ending kind of left me a little bit, really? And it was the only time in this entire ludicrous movie where I went, really? <laughs> so it's an unfortunate place for us to leave it, but everything that got us there is so ludicrously entertaining. Like, 
The surfing sequences are amazing. The bank robber sequence is amazing. That foot chase sequence is fucking awesome. <laughs> like, uh... The dynamic, which they ended up making fun of in that movie Hot Fuzz, where you really get this feeling like like Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze are kind of falling in love with each other. <laughs> like, in a not-ironic, kind of, like, legit, straightforward way. Like, if Laurie Petty there wasn't there to confuse Keanu Reeves' emotions, this might have opened a whole new door for him. I, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I just... The ludicrous stuff works for me until that ending. Until I just don't believe that change in Johnny Utah. And I know that's the purpose of it. We're supposed to see him go from naive to this hardened, bitter whatever. But he quits being a cop. He lets the bad guy die on his own terms. And I don't know. I, I wanted, I don't know, I wanted some kind of physical confrontation between them at the end. And I guess I was expecting that and didn't get it. But that's the only negative thing I'm going to say about this stupid movie. <laughs> I love the ending, uh, and I love it because I do agree that uh, Johnny and Bodie are on some level in love yeah. in this movie. I don't know how sexual it is. I think it's at least slightly sexual. I mean, there is a line in the movie where Bodie says to Johnny, I know you want me so bad it makes your teeth hurt or yeah. something like that. And it's, he's not talking about sex, but know he's at least slightly talking about it like that and johnny lets him go for the same reason that uh paul walker lets vin diesel go yeah. at the end of the fast and the furious because there is this bond there is this chemistry and and it sets it's set up earlier in the movie to where johnny can't shoot uh bodie when he has the chance and instead he just fires his gun into the air and screams yeah uh so i i do really like that ending uh i like that he just can't just can't quite let Bodie be miserable like he thinks like well I, I can't I'm too angry at Bodie to let him go entirely but if he can die on his own terms it's a compromise I'll do that I'm... so I love the ending and you have to say action is great it's, it's you're not waiting for it because everything else is so good but when it comes I think it's really good and the skydiving sequence is beautiful yeah oh absolutely I also think that Catherine Bigelow is the director that Michael Bay has been trying and failing to be his entire career. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm not even saying that to talk shit about Michael Bay. This, is the, this, as far as I'm concerned, is the type of movie Catherine Bigelow should be making. She did Near Dark and Blue Steel and this movie, and then she got into making more, quote, serious movies. I guess Strange Days had its action sequences, too. I think she's an action movie director. I would much rather see her make another movie like Point Break than see her make a mo another movie like The Hurt Locker, you know? Yeah. Uh, and she is the real deal. She is absolutely the fucking goods as a director. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I need to convince anybody of this, but, like, maybe in 1991 it wouldn't have been the obvious choice, but she was absolutely the right person for this job. And uh, I, I just, uh, she's got a great eye. And like, go back to action, girl, please, 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 please. Yeah, I think she's a major reason I love this movie so much. Because like, most action movies don't have female directors. Nope. And I think she kind of gives the male characters this level of sensitivity. Sort of makes it easier for like me to relate to them than say like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, I'm never relating to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? But I can with Keanu Reeves in this movie. I feel like Catherine Bigelow started on like a Tony Scott trajectory where like she made like an amazing artsy vampire movie and then she made like a lot of cop action movies and stuff like that. 
I wish she stayed on a Tony Scott trajectory because I think she could have been beloved like that. But she just got too legit. And yeah. she'll always be remembered as a great actor, a great, act, uh, sorry, director. Um, you know, she'll always be remembered as, a, as a, a big Academy draw. But she could have been more of a cult director in the way that, like, Tony Scott is, you yeah. know. But whenever I see her name mentioned in an article or something like that, it's like Catherine Bigelow, and then they'll credit Zero Dark, Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. And I always think whenever you're going to mention Catherine Bigelow, you put Point Break and Near Dark, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Hell yes. <laughs> I, I'm just gushing way, at I'm this I'm sorry point. if I've been like talking so fast and so loud. I'm super passionate about Point No, break. that's fine. That's fine. I'm all hopped up on coffee now, too, and I'm right there with you. It's um, also a mystery, this movie, because I keep saying that it's stupid, and the reason I keep saying that it's stupid is because it's fucking stupid. (laughs) Like, the movie's not smart at all, but it's got such intensity and such energy. And I also think that the other reason that, that Catherine Bigelow was a good choice is because it's about these two guys who kind of have a love story, and because we have to really like both of them, uh, she's really good at making these guys look super cool and super hot. Like, you want to be those guys. You want to be that cool. You understand the appeal of Bodie and his gang, even though, like, you can't justify that lifestyle. They're utterly selfish, criminal bastards. But they believe it. They have this little cult uh, justification that they have. And they have so much fun. And they say they don't want to kill people, although a lot of people die around them. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you think about the movie a little bit, it falls apart in your hands, but you're just too busy having a fucking blast watching it. So, utter, utter victory. And it's funny, because I started, like, the, the this whole podcast saying, come on, you guys, have fun with it. If you're a stupid movie, know you're a stupid movie. Point Break did none of that. And it's my favorite movie on this list. <laughs> so, because it's so earnest and sincere, you know? There's yeah. no irony to it. That's what I love about it. Yeah, so it's the exception to the rule. I don't think... I think it's a rare thing. Like, that's why it couldn't be remade. It was like an utter act of stupidity to even try. This is lightning in a bottle. Like, just be glad it exists and don't fuck with it. Point Break is immortal. The end. I'm very glad it exists. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say? Oh, I probably said too much already, but I love this movie. Love it so much. So thank you so much, Daniel, for doing this action-packed podcast. I I call these ones Action Bloodlust. Again, uh, I usually do horror and sci-fi, but if you wanted to rate by body count these action podcasts, by, like, what would you figure the average death toll in one of these movies? They're all double digits, easily. (laughs) Boiled alone probably has the body count of most of your episodes. (laughs) So, again, people give me a hard time for all the violence in the horror movies, and yet, you know, sign me up for hard boys. (laughs) so thanks for being here I had a lot of fun with this episode Um, 
and though it might not be horror, it definitely has some <laughs> violence and some horrifying moments to it. So, I'm curious, uh, what was your least favorite of these six action bloodlust films and why? Alright, so no big surprise, my least favorite is Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, it's, it's just the one that is, um, it's definitely dated the worst, despite being the most recent movie on the list. Uh, it's got the least committed action star in the helm. Uh, it's, it's just got a lot of characters I don't care for. It's, it's pretty generic. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan of Live Free or Die Hard. Should I go straight into my five? Please, yep, please do it. Okay. So, and from this point on, I like all of these movies, so there's no shame in being a four or a five. Uh, my number five is Blind Fury, which is really fun. It's just not... It just doesn't reach the heights that I think the rest of the movies do, but it is a fun 80s kind of cheesy action movie. It's right in my sweet spot of comfort. Rucker Hauer is great. Um, it's got great fight scenes. Yeah, Blind Fury is a total blast. I'm glad you forced me to watch it. For Yay! Sure. <laughs> my number four is the Robert Rodriguez joint, Desperado, which despite the fact there's not much to it uh, in terms of, of acting your brain, just so cool. And it's so much fun. And I think Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek really elevate the movie with how, yes, how beautiful they both are, but just how cool they are, how much chemistry they have on screen. Uh, Desperado is just over the top in all the ways that I enjoy. So I really dig that movie. My number three, perhaps uh, overperforming for a lot of people, is Michael Bay's Bad Boys, which is... A crazy amount of fun for me i think the action is truly amazing and it's it's all the more special because it's in this buddy cop comedy uh a lot of the comedy does work for me silly as it may be i do think the chemistry between will smith and martin lawrence is tons of fun and it's one of my favorite michael bay movies for sure it's probably second only to the rock although i haven't seen everything at this point you know maybe transformers the last night will overtake it when i finally get around to that movie but probably not i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead even though i haven't seen that movie and say it's worse Oh, wow. Uh, I, yeah, I think it is. It's No other action movie makes me happier. I've probably not seen any action movie as many times. And I love this genre. I love a lot of action movies. As you know, you, you may have gathered from this, I'm pretty lenient on action movies. It's cool. If it's fun, have entertaining, probably going to But Point Break, I think, is my favorite. And it's But it's easily my favorite on this list. It's yeah. the best. Well, it's, it's just it's amazing. It's Because it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. It is 
It is dumb as a bag of hammers. Like it is, it shouldn't work, and yet it works gloriously. And it's it's the fact that it overperforms so incredibly much. Like I had to put it in first place. I had no choice. I had no choice. Um, we're not going six for six, but I don't think we're gonna fight over it, man. I think we're close enough. Um, and I think we agree where it's important to agree. For instance, we agree that Die Hard Four is the least of these movies. I don't have the same hate for it that a lot of people do, and I get the feeling that I liked it a little bit more than you did, but it's just not what I wanted out of a Die Hard movie. Uh, it, it, it doesn't tip over to being completely awful to me. I don't think they get there till the next Die Hard movie, but it's not what I wanted from a Die Hard movie, and in this bunch of movies, it ranks very low. Maybe I'm unkind, and I may give it some time and watch it again. I put Bad Boys in fifth position. For me, the action worked. The buddy-buddy dynamic, I was only lukewarm on. Sure. And I, I, it, it, it would have been the most dated movie out of all of these, if not for Die Hard 4, <laughs> to me. Like, it felt the most vulgar in its 90s-ness. Like, even more so than Point Break, you could just feel the era that this movie came from. Um, it's fine and it's fun, and you're absolutely right. In the sort of breadth of Michael Bay dumb action... It ranks to the top half of his filmography, absolutely. But I think he made his best movie when he made The Rock, and I don't think he'll make a movie better than it. I really don't. I'm not a believer. <laughs> uh, in fourth place, I put Blind Fury. And like that seems like I'm being a little bit generous putting it that high on the list. I have personal affection for it. It was like a movie I discovered, and for the longest time I felt like it was mine. <laughs> you know, it was just one of those movies that I appreciated, and I was almost a little bit embarrassed at other people. What are you watching? Oh, nothing. I'm not watching a Blind Swordsman <laughs> movie starring Edgar Hauer. I was watching pornography, okay? Get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the sex scene of Desperado. That's right. Speaking of Desperado, Desperado, scrappy and flawed though it may be, fought its way to third place. Like... I think you put it really well where like the defining feature of this picture is its coolness it's just super cool and the action sequence when they burst out like like no they're not real world but they are awesome they are awesome I think that it's a little bit impressed with itself and some of the quote funny stuff in it just isn't as funny as it thinks it is and yeah I laughed at that sex scene and I don't think they wanted me to but I did laugh at it but I was entertained I was having fun and like I said, Salma Hayek is a goddess, so whatever, we'll take it on the chin. Warts and all, I have some affection for Desperado. Man, do I wish Boudreaux was not his brother, though. I can't even articulate how much that irritated me. <laughs> and yeah, let's get back to agreeing. In second place is Hard Boiled. And you're right. <laughs> In a fair universe, Hard Boiled should be number one. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I just, there's something about Point Break. I do love Hard Boiled. I, I think it's starting, only just starting now to show its age a little bit. But I also agree with you. I think almost any action fan will watch it and appreciate the level and scale of this action. It, yeah, it's a little bit repetitive. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, cliched, but it is a lot fucking awesome, and that makes up for anything else. <laughs> so, and God, that hospital sequence at the end—it's <laughs> the greatest thing, man. Sort of like when I watched the Raid movie for the first time. Like I felt 
physically exhausted after I watched it. I felt like I'd run for a half an hour or something. Like, I was tired from watching the action. So, bravo. So, how can we heap more praise on Point Break? Like, <laughs> what more could be said? <laughs> like, if Point Break was a person, I'd lead my life and pursue it. Okay, maybe that's overstating it. Maybe that's overstating it. <laughs> but... I love the shit out of Point Break. I can't even fully articulate why. I understand that it's not smart in any way, shape, or form. And I understand that it takes itself way too seriously. But for some reason, I have a dopey smile on my face the whole time. I love, love, love it. I don't think it's my favorite action movie ever made, but I will give you this. It's in the conversation. Right on, man. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, that's where I am. Uh... We're close enough that I don't think we're going to fight over it. <laughs> so, no, I think we're okay. <laughs> I might have been a little bit too hard on, on Bad Boys, and maybe you were a little bit too hard on what uh, on Blind Fury. Whatever. Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we had fun watching these stupid action movies, did we not? Oh, so much fun. And, I love this genre, and this has been a blast just talking about this movie, man. And I keep using the word stupid. Please don't take that as me being negative towards the movies. I'm, I'm saying that in the most affectionate way possible. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear you. It's, it's not a word I would use for them, but uh, I, I think you're using the word in a different way I would, so it's, it's okay. Maybe dumb is a better word. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're not smart, but they're so much fun. And you know what? Sometimes fun is enough. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and they are smart in the way they execute the action scene. Yeah. And that's that's important to me. Not easy to make. Your your boy Quentin Tarantino says if you can direct action well, as far as he's concerned, you're a great director. Yeah, I, I would love that quote. I would not argue with him on that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody should listen to Cobwebs, a Gothic Horror podcast. So, yeah, thank you, man. You I've heard you plug the show many times on here, and I really appreciate that. No, well, I, I want to share the wealth. I want to spread the word. Um, and like we say, I've been having some trouble with my feed. We're going to get that fixed, but you can always find Rank and Review at rankandreview.ca. Listen to this episode. About a year ago, I did another episode with Daniel. If you're a Daniel fan, which you should be, he's got a podcast. He's been here before, and hopefully he'll be here again. <laughs> yeah, I'm on this. Thanks so much, brother. You have a good one. And that was another fun-filled episode of Rankin Review Into the Rearview Mirror. Much thanks to Daniel Epler for helping me talk about those six action movies. If you have feedback, you can send that to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please visit the website at rankandreview.ca and please tell that other movie nerd in your life about the show. If you need more podcasts for your ears, please check out A Lifetime of Hallmark, check out the Terror Table podcast, check out Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast, check out the Shelf Shedding movie show, and check out Welcome to Riverdale. And keep listening for Rankin Review every other Wednesday.